0: Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the OCR Underground Show. My name is Mike Diebler. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and making this a part of your OCR training routine. Uh, My goal is simple, is to provide uh, the best content I can to help you uh, train smarter so you can stay more resilient and see that race day and uh, performance improve. If you want to check out the uh, show notes and any links mentioned in today's episode, make sure you head on over to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 92 well i'm back again um much quicker than my uh previous break and uh, i hope you guys enjoyed my last episode i just needed something to kind of get me going again just like i think we all do sometimes just taking that first step can be uh, can be a huge challenge but once once you get that one done it just seems to be a little bit easier so i'm hoping i'm back in the routine and and get some more great episodes out uh for you guys um it also helps that the uh, kids are back in school now. So all of a sudden I have uh, several hours of more time uh, that I can devote to things like this. So I'm just happy to be rolling again. So I hope you guys enjoy uh, this episode and, uh, and the future episodes that are be uh, gonna be coming out soon. I uh, wanna let you guys know about a upcoming DECA event. Um, I've had the pleasure of uh, becoming a DECA affiliate At my studio san diego premier training in carlsbad california if you're local or if you want an excuse to get out to socal we are going to be hosting a a dual event so we're going to do the deca strong on saturday september 17th and then the next day on the 18th we're going to be doing the deca mile so we're going to do a back-to-back deca strong deca mile weekend Um, we've gotten to do a few of these they're so much fun uh, if you haven't gotten the chance to do a DECA event, I strongly recommend it. It's uh, definitely different than a traditional OCR, um, but just uh, just has a whole new component and, and that benefits to it. So really fun. Uh, if you've done one, see if you can beat your time. Uh, so I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to sign up as, as of the time of me recording this. We actually only have four more spots in the mile event, and uh, we have a few more than that in the strong event so we're, we're getting pretty close to selling out so if you're interested uh, check that out you can also just go to the deca.fit site and then uh, search for events in september and you'll find us at san diego premier training so it should be fun um, in fact this episode i want to take some time and talk about deca training and if you have one coming up or at least thinking about it give you some uh, tips to help you uh, improve your performance there And as always, I have an awesome episode for you today. Uh, In this episode, in the Inside Mike's Mind segment, I wanna talk about um, uh, N equals one. So here we're gonna be talking about research and um, more anecdotal research. I know a lot of time we talk about um, more scientific research, but how you can use that N of one, so just studying yourself, to maybe get more out of your training program. Uh, In our research review, when we're looking more at that scientific research, we're going to look at some asymmetries in strength, specifically uh, bilateral or two-legged versus one-legged hamstring quadricep imbalances and how those might impact performance. And then finally, in uh, my main topic, like I mentioned, I want to get into uh, some DECA training. I know we've talked a little bit about DECA training uh, on previous episodes, but after getting to uh, compete in a few, and uh host uh, a few events and seeing um, a a wide range of uh of racers go through um, i have five tips that i want to talk about to help you train for your next deca event now before we get into these awesome topics i want to take a minute and let you know about some of the sponsors of this show first i want to tell you about the incredible products at nobosu Nobosu actually is a Czech word, meaning barefoot, and they have incredible barefoot technology. Uh, The feet are actually incredibly rich with uh, mechanoreceptors and proprioceptors, parts of our nervous system that are sensitive to things like texture, vibration, stretch, um, pressure, and touching. And when you stimulate these different receptors, it helps maintain upright posture and help us control impact performance, and essentially helps us move. So they have designed products for the feet with this in mind, backed by science. uh, Their products are incredible to help you move better. Um, I personally love their toe splays to help align those toes and feet better, uh, as well as their inserts that have textured uh, uh, a texture to them that you can stand and walk around in all day. They even have a new product out with uh, socks, recovery socks with texture on the inside. So, really cool products um, looking at your feet. Uh, check out all of their products at Nabosu.com. If you use code Diebler, my last name, D E I B L E R, you can save. 10% off your order. Uh, I also want to talk about Venga CBD, and I've, I've mentioned uh, previous episodes and some of the emails I sent out. I've been dealing with uh, with an injury and, and definitely battling some inflammation. And on top of my, my rehab, a big part of my recovery process is the products at Venga CBD. Uh, their products are made with the endurance athlete in mind to help you train longer, race harder, and recover faster. I'm actually really excited because they are announcing that they're launching a new product. Well, it's actually a, a remix of an old product, their, their energy drink mix, or they call their power powder. Uh, it's got an all-new formula containing B vitamins, taurine, ginseng, caffeine, and of course, CBD. Um, you can check out all their great products to help you with your training and recovery Recovery at vengacbd.com slash OCR Underground. And finally, if you're looking to uh, add some new fun equipment to your home gym, check out Flex Movement Fitness. Uh, check them out at flexmovementmvmtfitness.com. Uh, I personally love using their flex cords. These are elastic bands that have a covering, so they're less likely to break uh, because I'm always tired of replacing bands that, that snap. Uh, has loops on both ends, making it really easy to set up for a variety of different types of exercises, and you don't even need an anchor point. Uh, to attach them to. Uh, And I also love their flex wheels. They have different sizes. These uh, essentially they're used like sliders, but they have wheels making them a little bit more challenging and they can be used anywhere. Um, So if you want to spice up your workouts with flex movement fitness, again, head on over to flexmovementfitness.com. Use code again, DBLER, my last name, and you can save 15% off your order. All right, guys. Well, let's get into today's episode. All right, well it's time for the Inside Mike's Mind segment. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know I, I love talking about research. Um, every episode I, I try and talk about a research article and, and hopefully give you some insight on how you can apply some of that to yourself. Um, one thing I always try and you know remind myself and remind others is that we can't live and die by research. Um, it essentially you know points us in a, a general direction um but they're not things that you know are absolutes or rarely are we seeing absolutes with research and that's why we'll often find research that will contradict itself because there is so much uh, so many things out there that are out of our control and you can't control for every single variable in every research study that you do you can't have people like living in a vacuum do a research study it's just not real life um so We need to keep this in mind and understand that what research is really just telling us is general averages of what happens right so they they implement a study they have they have a question they want to answer they put together a research design and they control as many variables as they can and we ultimately get some type of solution or answer or, or really average we get some numbers from it um and i've even talked about this in some of uh, of our research that we've talked about on this show um and really talking about the individuality in each research study right so if they're going to do a study on a group of people say they get a group of men to do some type of exercise and they want to see if it helps them get stronger now when they get the results and make their conclusions they're going to take the average out of all of these different men um, based on the exercise they did, the results they get, we'll get an average of that. Um, but if you don't look closely, you'll, you'll miss that there's a big variation, right? We're getting the middle ground, but we're not seeing the very high and the very low. So in some studies, um, for example, I've, I've talked about caffeine and how, you know, we've been told that caffeine is a, an ergogenic aid. It's something that will help specifically with endurance performance. But if you look at some studies, they'll find that in some people, it actually makes endurance performance worse. Now, when you look at the average, in av- uh, it, that way it uh, seems to help, but not everybody, right? So some it helps a lot, some maybe a little bit, some not at all, and some actually makes it worse, but on the average, they might conclude that it is a helpful uh, supplement for people to take. Now what about the people in that study that got worse, right? So they took this supplement, they took that caffeine or whatever it is, and their performance got worse. But they're being told that caffeine is a performance-enhancing supplement. Um, But they can tell you very specifically that no, it isn't, right? So I want you to keep this in mind as we talk about things, you have to consider the most important person, and that's you. So is this thing helping you specifically? I, it doesn't matter if it helps everyone you know. If you're not seeing improvements from it, then it might not be the best option for you. Or we can look at it the other way around. What if there's something that everybody says this this doesn't work? It's you know it's it's uh, pointless. You know whatever. But you do it, and you can clearly see it's helping you. So that's what matters, right? That you're getting that improvement there. So remember research. Is, is pointing us in a direction for, uh, on average, or in general, this may or may not help you, but you may want to go out and do your own research. And that's really the ultimate point I want to make here is we take the information that we, we learn, we read, we listen to, and apply it as best you can and see if it's helpful. And if it is, then that's something that maybe you want to continue doing. Um, if it isn't, then maybe you want to look to try something else. So sometimes you, you do have to give things, you know, an honest effort. You have to be consistent. Some things do take time. So I'm not saying, hey, you tried, tried something once, it didn't work, you give up. Um, you, you want to be consistent. Give it an honest effort. You know, some things will take longer than others to actually see a benefit from it. Um, but start doing self-experimentation. Now I'm not saying you have to go around and and stick needles in and and do anything illegal or or try things that may harm you, but don't just listen to what people say, start testing it out and see and see for yourself. See, did this really help me? Did it not? Did it not make any difference? Um, you know, sometimes maybe it's helping you and you can't really tell. So that this is where this all gets compli- uh, complicated, but I think if we all did a little bit more of this, we would really find the most customized plan that works best for us, right? Take insight from others that maybe you're in a similar situation or, you know, done things before, have have more experience than you um, to get a good starting point. But then start to experiment, right? I know it's um, something It's it's hard. It's hard to do, right? You just want to sometimes have somebody tell you what to do. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. And, uh, and that can be incredibly helpful, especially when you're kind of stuck in a rut and just not sure what to do. You just need something to help you get going. Uh, just need a little bit of guidance, but at times it's good to experiment a little bit. So that's, that's my big takeaway here is what's maybe something that you used to do that maybe you stopped doing because some people said it didn't, didn't help. Um, um or, you know, anything like that, that maybe you can, you can test out. So don't just blindly follow things, uh, just uh, start to see what what's gonna do the best for you specifically, because nobody can really tell. We can, you know, the advice I give on here is again, in general, you know, I wish I can say, you know, when I have work with a client, every single thing I tell them works 100% of the time. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how it goes. I have a great, you know, plan and system to get a to get us going and get a good starting point. But then that's that's where the magic comes in. Is once we get going, we can start to see what seems to be working well, what's not working well, and now we can start to make adjustments for the best program that we can we can come to. So obviously, having somebody work with you is um, you know a little bit faster and an easier way to do this. But there's no reason you can't do this on your own. So try different things out, test it, see what works. So even when there's something that everybody told you, hey, that doesn't work, um, I always like. Uh, when we see like the um, the altitude masks, right? People just dismiss that immediately, that, oh, the research says this, the research says that. Um, but I'll see people all the time that say, hey, you know what, it really helped me. It helped me control my breathing and I just feel better doing it. And that's what I would take away is, sure, maybe you're not simulating uh, altitude training and we're not getting the same adaptations but that doesn't mean that it's a complete waste of time. Right. There might be other benefits and it might be helpful for you um, because now you're just more conscious about your breath work. Right. It's not just about, um, you know, increasing uh, red blood cell count and, and things like that and, and hemoglobin. It's it's there's other pieces to it that can be beneficial as well. So um, just as an example, that's one I'll often uh see happen. But people just give it up because they hear everybody saying that it's no good. So so test yourself out. Be that N of 1. Um, do some experiments, right? Set up your own lab, right? You don't have a gym in your garage. You have a laboratory where you're going to do some experiments and see if are you improving. And if you're not, let's start to make some, some changes, right? Just don't settle and say, well, this is what everybody does and this is what everybody says I should be doing. So I just need to do it, right? Try it out. And if you're not seeing the, the results you want, maybe it's time to Start uh changing the experiment a little bit and seeing if you can uh, make better improvements on your own Well, now that I said you can't uh believe it all the research here let's uh let's take a look at a research study so uh, in this episode's research review, we're going to look at some asymmetries, and this is a topic I've talked about before. Uh, there's just such so so much research out there, and this is one thing when you see similar research piling up. Um, again, we're looking at averages, but we're we're getting more and more likely that this may be the case. Uh, so, what they did in this study was they looked at men and women, kind of looked to see if they. Uh, would see differences in um, injuries and asymmetries in lower body. And specifically what they looked at was lower body power and then tissue uh, composition. So muscle size, body fat, things like that. Uh, so they had a group of uh, men and women and they took power measurements. So they did single leg counter movement jumps. So they would jump as high as they could and measure it on... Uh, right leg and left leg, and kind of measure the differences between those, and uh, then they would look. They would use an in-body, and which would measure that tissue composition, so they could see specifically the lower limb, lower body um, breakdown on on size, muscle size, body fat, things like that. And uh, what they found was essentially that asymmetry proved to be a pretty significant. Uh, injury risk factor. So they uh, they had all of these uh, participants fill out a uh, questionnaire survey uh, and record all injuries over the previous twelve months, uh, the nature of those injuries, where they were, so they can see you know what type of injuries these these individuals had, where they happened on the body, and was there um, any relationship between injury and left versus right, either size or power um, and uh, like I said they did find that asymmetries in these two factors was a uh, led to significant risk in injury specifically what they found which was kind of interesting uh, for men they saw a stronger predictor with power production so when there was a bigger difference between jumping on jumping height on the left versus the right uh, that was uh, significantly increasing the chances that they're was an injury. Uh, For women, they actually found, uh, while that was still true, the stronger indicator for them was actually the tissue asymmetry. So uh, like having more or less muscle mass uh, from the left side versus the right side. So I thought it was kind of interesting that there was that difference between men and women there. But either way, both showing what a lot of other research studies have shown, that these differences in lower body strength levels power levels, and now we can say even uh, size, are factors that uh, predict or, or increase the likelihood of an injury uh, from happening. So I think this is a pretty easy takeaway, and it's something that I've talked about before. We have to make sure we are monitoring these asymmetries and we're doing something about them. Now, it's important to remember that you'll never be symmetrical, right? We, we don't have to be perfect. And, and really what this study found that it uh, was a little over a 4% difference from left to right side. So um, if you were under that cutoff point, uh, the risk was was relatively low. But as soon as you went over this grade of an asymmetry, we saw that in dramatic increase in risk factor of an injury. So I'm not saying that your left leg and your right leg need to be of equal strength, but they need to be you know, kind of within that 5%. Right? So as long as they're fairly close, it's, it's probably you're doing everything you need to be doing. Um, and we want to make sure we're paying attention to the different aspects of lower body training. So I've talked about in the past, we need to be doing unilateral strength training. You need to be doing things like single leg squats and step ups and lunges, left versus right side. I'm not saying you can't do bilateral, right? traditional squats and deadlifts and things like that um, but you need to be implementing unilateral work uh, as much as possible and making sure we correct for any of these asymmetries because if you don't and you're only doing double-legged things you're not realizing it but you probably are compensating and really using one leg more than the other so the best way to prevent that from happening is, is sticking with more single leg exercises uh, so on top of strength Uh, especially for for men, but obviously this is going to be important for everybody, making sure we're doing single leg power exercises as well. So, single leg box jumps, single leg squats, um, even even skipping, um, single leg hops, step-up jumps. Uh, There's so many different uh, types of single leg exercises, but something where you're really relying on one leg at a time to create as much power as possible. Um, and then something you can actually do as well is take take measurements. you know if you can have somebody do body fat measurements, if you can have some or yourself, you can just take circumference measurements to get a good idea uh, left versus right are they pretty equal in size? and that might be important for for female more importantly than than male. but again, I think it's something that probably both people both genders will uh, probably take benefit from so we can see if there's a size difference now, If there's a size difference, there's probably a strength difference too, but not always. So it's just a good idea to to double check that there and really simple things you can do. Um, So make sure you're doing bilateral, make sure you're doing unilateral, make sure you're doing both strength of each, make sure you're doing both power of each uh, to really get the most out of your lower body training. let's get into today's main topic and i want to talk a little bit more about uh training for a deca and i'll I'll talk deca but really with a lot of the other events coming out high rocks and and some of the other ones more of these fitness type challenges i think it's all pretty you know pretty similar um these strategies are going to be helpful for any of those types of races even if i if i'm talking deca right now so we have the you know the the of strong the of mile the deca fit so essentially all the same competition um the of fit has two obstacles or two zones that are slightly different but relatively uh, all the same 10 zones with either no running in the the strong a mile total in the mile or the 5k distance in the fit so um like i mentioned i've Uh, Gotten to participate in a few of these. I've gotten to watch uh, a ton of athletes go through and kind of see, you know, some things that people do well, um, some things that kind of get people and it it really affects their race, a wide range of of, uh, uh, levels from, you know, elite to, you know, people just doing the best they can to finish. Um, It was actually really cool. I had one of my clients, didn't know if he'd be able to do it, but he's in his 70s and he got through the uh mile, which was really cool. And he's actually signed up for this next one and trying to beat his time. So it's really, really cool to see what people can do um, with this event. So, um, and actually on the other end, we had three three guys go sub 20 minutes in the decamile, mile, which is just pretty crazy. Um, and one of them seeing if he can uh, break that 19 minute mark, which would be pretty incredible if he could get through all 10 zones and... And run a mile in under 19 minutes. So we'll, we'll see if he can he can do it. Um, so I have five uh, tips that I think are are great for for really heading into one of these types of events. So I want to get right into them. So the first one is uh, one thing that I'm really working on. One one of my clients right now. He's training uh, for his uh, second mile event. Really wants to beat that time and. And he noticed he just struggled pushing the, the pace. Really, he just got so uncomfortable. He's just not used to pushing himself that hard. So my first tip is uh, it's kind of that get un- uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. But really what I'm saying is push your lactate threshold. So these events are relatively shorter, right? You, you can do them in 30 minutes or, or less um, or somewhere around that range so you're pushing a uh, a fairly high intensity that entire time so we know you have your that lactate threshold kind of your race pace um, 5k pace you know it's the maximum intensity you're going to be able to go for that 20-30 minute range Um, you can train that so uh, you you have at this point this intensity where lactate's building up uh, acidity's building up you know there's basically Havoc is is uh, um, being wreaked in your in your muscles, and they're having a hard time contracting, and it's it's going to slow you down. The more you expose yourself to that intensity, the uh, the more you can push that, and and you can push that in two different ways. Psychologically, that's the uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? You you just get more comfortable being in this situation, even if there are no physiological adaptations, which, which will happen, um, if you consistently do this style of training, but just being, um, being used to being in this position will go a long way before any of those changes actually take place. So that's one thing we're, we're trying to get him to work on is he's getting his heart rate to that, you know, 90% higher, and he's just trying to maintain it for as long as he can. Um, and he's getting better and better. And he has even talked about how it doesn't, it doesn't. He he's. It just doesn't feel as hard anymore, um, and he's able to hit those intensities a lot easier. So, um, so he's getting more comfortable being there. But essentially, the more we expose ourselves to the, these intensities around our lactate threshold, um, the higher intensities those actually occur at. So adaptations will occur in the body. So you can handle that. You can clear lactate better. Um, pH won't be disrupted as as easily. Um, So you need to, to, to work at those intensities. Now, if, if you don't have all the equipment, that's okay, right? So just pick workouts that are going to push these types of training. So if I'm looking at like a running or, or maybe we just say like a traditional cardio program could be on bike, whatever, um, rower, Hitting those more tempo paces, right? So we're we're hitting like your your race pace or zone three, upper zone three. So you're trying to push a pretty hard hard intensity. So you know my go-to here would be like a tempo run, right? So we do warm up, and then we're gonna hit uh, hit that high intensity for a prolonged period of time. So in the beginning, it might be like ten minutes. That's that's all you can do is hold that pace, and then we might build up to to thirty minutes, forty minutes, something like that. Um, but this is um, high intensity continuous training hict you might might uh hear. and uh, that's exactly what it is it's basically that high intensity that you can maintain so high intensity interval trainings where you're hitting very high intensities that you can only hold for a very short period of time and then you're coming back down recovering and then hitting it hard again uh, hict is where you're hitting these the, a little bit less intensity but these are still high intensity um, but it's uh, at, the, at a point where you can maintain it so I'd pick those kind of workouts you know, uh, with either like your you know, your rower, your assault bike, your running, whatever it might be, or do like your metabolic training, like circuits, right? You, you pick a, a group of exercises and you're just going to keep moving at a fast pace for, you know, again, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever you can maintain. So the goal here is pushing that intensity. So if I'm using like circuit training, I'm not so concerned with the weight, right? I'm not trying to build necessarily build strength. Um, I'm going to need a weight that will challenge me, but um, again, I'm going for a prolonged period of time without stopping. So I need to make sure, you know, the weight's within reason there. So that's, that's my first tip is start incorporating, you know, one to two times a week, uh, these kind of threshold workouts, whether it's traditional cardio or maybe metabolic training, circuit training, things like that. Um, my next tip is, and this I guess is more if you've done a lot of the zones before, but it's really understanding your strengths and weaknesses. So understanding pacing almost. So not all zones are created equal and uh, not all racers are created equal. Some are just better suited to handle certain things. And I think it's just a good idea to understand where do you excel where do you struggle? And this is good for two things. One, it's going to help you kind of dial in your training. So if you know what zones really hold you up, guess what you need to work on, right? You you need to figure out how do you make those weaknesses more your strength. So you really double down on some of those zones that you're really struggling with. Um, But at the same time, it also lets us know during the competition, uh, where should you be pushing it and where maybe you should hold up and pace yourself. So if you know, for example, the assault bike just is your weakness; it gets you every time. That might be one you want to back off a little bit. But you know, you know, the skier is your thing. Like you, you just crush it on there. So that's where you're going to try and uh, make up that time, right? So you're going to find, pick and choose which ones are you going to absolutely go for, and you know you can't hold back. You got to go as hard as you can, and then move on. And which ones, if you push too hard, is it really going to cost you some time in the long run um, because you're just going to be hurting afterwards? Um, you know, obviously if it's the burpees, the last one, then at least you're in luck. It's the last one. You just gotta, to bear down and and get through it there. So tip number two, make sure you understand those strengths and weaknesses so you can understand better pacing. Uh, tip number three is knowing your numbers. And I say this specifically with the, the cardio zones. So the, the rower, the ski erg and the assault bike in particular, because the more you understand those pieces of equipment, I think uh, the easier those zones are going to be. And what I mean by that is just knowing—you know—if we take the assault bike for bike for example, um, if you know as really as much information as possible, do you know your watts? Do you know your RPMs? If I have a general idea of what those are when I'm hitting this 25 calorie pace. I know I'm not going to burn myself out in the first 10 seconds. And I know I'm not going to go too slow and leave too much at the end. So this obviously comes with training. You got to get on these equipment. You have to practice, you know, those 500 meters. You have to practice those 25 calories. And you really have to understand what's a good pace that you are going to be most efficient, that you're going to be able to get through that zone as fast as possible. So like I know if I'm on the assault bike and I hit 80 RPMs, in, in the first, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm not going to be able to maintain that, that intensity. Um, or if I'm going out and I'm at 50 RPMs, um, I, I'm going way too slow, right? So I need to find that sweet spot where I can push it, maintain that intensity, that speed for the entire ride, and then really step it up for the last few calories to get to get off there as fast as possible. So on the rower, maybe you're looking at your stroke rate, maybe you're looking at your watts again. Um, or even just your 500 meter pacing, just just to understand what those numbers are for you so um, you know what you're shooting for. And I, and I don't want to skip, maybe the most beneficial thing of doing that, it's a great distraction. I'm not concentrating on the calories. I'm not necessarily concentrating on the meters. I'm focusing on this one thing and just trying to hit a number. It's a nice distraction uh, to you know, so you don't have to remind yourself how miserable you are while you're, you're rowing or biking or whatever it might be. So tip number three, make sure you really uh, know those numbers. Uh, Tip number four is uh, just get efficient. And, you know, it's kind of building off what we just talked about. When you know your numbers, you're getting much more efficient. A lot of these different zones, I mean, really all to some degree require a skill that you have to get better at. So you need to understand what is the most efficient way to get through that obstacle, that could be, uh, you know, understanding the damper settings. You know, do you do better at a higher damper or a lower damper for the rower and the ski erg, um, or just you know how you pull. Understanding, I, I see a lot of people they just don't utilize the rower the way that they're supposed to. They don't really move that seat a whole lot. They just move their arms or they just move their legs. They don't understand how to use the whole body to really pull out and then recover back and then just r- repeat that cycle as as, mo- as efficiently as they can, they're really wasting a lot of energy there. You see a lot of people when they're doing the box step overs, they just have the, the rhythm down where they get up and over to the other side and then they bounce right back. And you see some people they'll kind of step up and they fall down and then they have to turn around and, and they just waste a lot of time. And, you know, more importantly, they're wasting energy by taking Extra steps and things like that. So you really want to look at each of the zones and how you know within the rules of each. And that's important that we make sure we understand the the rules of each zone and and what you can do and cannot do. Um, but within those rules, how do you really get as efficient as possible? So I can use the least amount of energy and hopefully get through that zone as quickly as possible so that's uh, tip number four is is get efficient just work on technique for those zones Um, and one thing I want to build off of that I have uh, you know uh, quite a number of clients training for for either their first or you know second third DECA event and and especially the the ones in the beginning or maybe they're doing their second one they just want to crush each zone like every day and I have to remind them that that's not the goal the goal is to just expose yourself get efficient without killing your body in the process, just like anything, being smart about the training. So instead of every time coming to the gym, grabbing the 55-pound ram roller and and doing 30 lunges um, because, you know, they they struggle with that particular one, uh, instead, grab it, and you're just going to do a couple, right? You might hear the term grease the groove. We're just kind of going through the motion and getting really good at it. I know if I told you to do three reps per side, it would look a lot different if I asked you to do thirty reps. So just making sure you're you're understanding how to be efficient, and when you're constantly trying to to push as hard as you can, um, that's that's something different that you're working on. So sometimes we need to push that intensity, like I said, with our first tip, getting um, comfortable being uncomfortable. But at the same time, we need to expose ourselves in a more fresh state so we can really focus in on that technique because we need both. We need that that skill, that technique to be just dialed in and efficient. And then we also need to be able to push ourselves while maintaining that, that technique there. Okay, and our uh, my fifth tip that I want to go over is uh, you don't just have to train the zones. So I, I'm kind of maybe contradicting myself a little bit here. Um, but yes, you need to, you know, if you can expose yourself to each of the zones, so you can practice them, so you can get efficient, understand your strengths and weaknesses and really push, push it on those specific things. But I think there's a lot of benefit of not just doing that. And that, you know, if I relate it back to tip number one, I can do any kind of metabolic training. I can do, uh, you know, cardio. I can, I can do a lot of things to train for this event, but I think a mistake people run into is they... They do the event to train free the event. and I see a lot of problems developing with that where it's just overtraining, too much exposure, it kind of gets stale doing the same things over and over again. Um, and it's the same movement over and over. And when you that's a recipe for uh, burnout and it's a recipe for overtraining and potentially injury and none of those things we really want to deal with. So uh, So mix it up a little bit. So making sure that you're doing other things to, to balance yourself out. Right, there's there's lots of you know the I, I like the the deca event because it covers a lot of different movements, um, different movement patterns, but it doesn't cover everything. And we want to train in balance, so there's definitely things that we want to make sure we're also throwing in there, even if it has nothing to do with with a deca zone. Uh, so we still get a lot out of it. So set up a circuit. You know, maybe it has one or two of the zones. But then you throw in, you know, pull-ups or rows or, or planks or, or something else. They'll all carry over into those different movements, um, but it's, it's not necessarily the zone itself. But I just think whenever we get kind of caught up in a, in a particular movement or exercise or event, bad things will eventually happen if we don't give it a break. I think the same thing happens when uh, people are training for obstacle core races and they maybe struggle with the monkey bars and then they live and die on those monkey bars. That's all they do. And now their, their shoulders messed up, their, their uh, elbow is, is bugging them um, because they're just doing the same motion over and over and over again. So again, going back to grease the groove, expose yourself to those things, but not to failure, not to fatigue, just to expose your body to get better at it. But you're not, Um, straining overly hard. When you're when you're pushing yourself, sometimes you're gonna do the zones, but I think it's important sometimes not to do those zones. Make sure you mix it up. Do other events um that uh that may relate or may not, right? You you're just working on conditioning um in some form. So it's all going to be beneficial. So that last key is uh make sure you don't only train the zones. Don't train uh your training shouldn't just be you know the the event. You want to mix it up for better balance in the body. So uh, hopefully those five tips make sense. Um, like I said, if you haven't signed up for a DECA event, uh, check it out. They're they're definitely fun, um, especially when you're doing the the strong and the mile. Obviously, I'm biased. We're hosting one. You get that. You know the smaller. You know studio gyms are able to do things like this. So it's not just the big event with with a ton of people. Uh, it's a it's a you know uh, I don't know. It's it's a very fun setting with a you know a smaller event. And, uh, and just a lot of fun. So uh, if, if you want to sign up for one, head over to DECA.fit, and you can see what, uh, I mean, there's, there's events going on, it seems like, every single weekend all over the country. So you'll have plenty of options, so you don't just have to wait for the big events, the DECA FITs. Uh, to do that but you know there's other ones like i said high rocks and and other things out there so you can definitely check those out too um so let me know if if those help and uh hopefully we'll see some of you at our event in uh september for either the deca mile or the deca strong alright guys that's gonna do it for episode 93 um, hope you guys enjoyed this one uh, I'm excited to be back at it and hopefully we'll have another one out soon and I am working on getting some more interviews on here so you can hear some insight from uh, other awesome coaches as well again remember to check out the uh, show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode 93 for any links uh, mentioned in the show um, I'll put the link for the uh, the deck event that we're doing at at my studio uh, plus everything else and you can also check out some of the links for our sponsors with uh, venga cbd Naboso, and uh, flex movement fitness Uh, but that's going to do it until next time you guys keep training smarter